Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast. I'm Madison Taylor and I hope everyone is doing well. Coming up on the podcast, it was a big international week. Joining me are regular contributors to the podcast, Andrew Rayburn and former Aston Villa and FA Media Officer Emily Lyles. Hi guys. Hi, it was a big international week this week. We will have a look at the Lionesses shortly. But first, it was one of the biggest games in Northern Ireland history. They travelled to Ukraine this week, knowing there was two games. They travelled to Ukraine this week, knowing they were two games away from making history and qualifying for their first ever tournament. And they pulled off a fantastic win away. Liverpool's Rachel Furness and Everton's Simone McGill scored to give them two vital away goals. The hosts had equalised through Darina Apa-Anashenko to give them some hope. We spoke in last week's pod about Furness and McGill being vital, and so it proved in the end. Kenny Shields was calm after the 6-0 defeat to England. Knowing this was the big one, Emily, have they performed where it's mastered? Yeah, they certainly have, haven't they? And you say, obviously, they're not quite there yet, but it's a huge, huge result away from home. And I think, you know, that the point um, Kenny Shields made there about the England game is really, really valid because I think anybody that follows the game closely knows there's going to be a golf, knows there's a completely different level of resource, uh, time allocated. They're, I guess England and Northern Ireland are just in very different places at the moment in terms of their development of their women's team and you know there are aspects of that performance against England albeit the scoreline didn't reflect that that actually were quite impressive they were organized they showed what they're about and yes certainly to to get that result away from home in what is a huge huge tie for them was really really impressive obviously Simone Magill is someone that we know very very well in this country playing for Everton and and she's been very consistent for a long time and, and Sean is a very very young player and yeah, look, it's exciting. And I think, you know, certainly, I would say certainly any neutral, but certainly any sort of UK-based neutral, I imagine, will be rooting for Northern Ireland for sure. And a slight worry for, for Northern Ireland was Finesse going off with an ankle injury. Andrew, how imperative is it for Northern Ireland to have her fit for the return leg? Well, certainly they, they'll definitely want her fit, obviously. Um, we mentioned, as you said at the, at the top there, Maddie, that their experienced players were going to be very crucial for them in this, you know, in this sort of environment. It's it's a completely different sort of game, isn't it? When you get those playoff matches, although it's still part of the qualifying process, it's a very different feel to the games. Um, you know, you can still get games in, in group phases, which are which are all important. You know, you win, you know, you need to win to go through or whatever. But when it's a, a, a straight, knockout or over two legs admittedly but when it you know when it's got that knockout feel um you know you you need to take the initiative northern Ireland have done that especially uh, away from home um you know and i think that's a huge result i mean ukraine haven't lost in in ages i don't know uh, when they last lost so that that's an, an excellent result in, in and of itself so you know uh, obviously you know playing in ukraine uh winning in ukraine is is the first job done and then it's uh, all back to all back to Belfast for uh, for the second course of that uh, of that uh, sumptuous meal for them. And the return leg is this Tuesday in Belfast, and you can actually watch that game on the BBC iPlayer and BBC Sport website. Unfortunately, the Lionesses lost their friendly match on Friday evening as they went down three one in France. Goals in each half from Sandy Baltimore and Vivian Assayi put the hosts in control in con. 
Frank Kirby's spot kick reduced the deficit with 11 minutes remaining, which meant a rare feat of France conceding. But Maria Antoinette Katoto's close-range effort three minutes later sealed victory. Emily, lots of questions for Hega Risa. No Steph Horton or Lucy Bronze. A big struggle defensively in that game, don't you think? Yeah, it certainly was. But I think the point you just made there, Maddie, is really, really valid when you've got no Steph Horton and no Lucy Bronze. I think that's going to weaken any any sort of back four, back five. And, you know, it is. I think it was, in some respects, a really, really big night for the likes of Leah Williamson, see Millie Bright. I know Lottie Wubber-Moy came on as well. Um, but yeah, I think, look, ultimately, you always get that reaction, don't you, after a game where people are naturally disappointed, fans are disappointed. Um, this is a big opportunity, a big opportunity for some of those players. But, you know, all in all, I guess, when you look at the two teams, you look at, you know, France's quality, what they possess, as you say, in terms of conceding goals and stuff like that, you know, it Hopefully, it's a really good learning experience for them. Um, and yeah, and I think there were other positives there as well. It's it's good to see Beth Mead back in the squad and back in the group and obviously playing a part, um, albeit, you know, I'm sure she would have liked to have caught the eye a little bit more. But you know what? I think it's important to remember that this is a bit of a, well, it's a very, very odd year, isn't it, for everybody? And I think certainly the team will be, you know, better for that experience. And Tuesday against Canada is the last game before Hega Risa picks her squad for the Olympics. Do you think she knows who she's going to pick or could someone still stick their hand up at this late stage, Andrew? It's an interesting period, isn't it? Um, you would like to think, well, ordinarily, I think another tournament, a, a European Championship or a World Cup, um, uh, you know, with uh, established coaches, you would say, you know, they might well know bulk of their their squad. I mean, I reckon, for example, ahead of the Men's European Championship, Gareth Southgate pretty much has most places nailed down, might be a couple of decisions. With this, it's just a little bit different, isn't it? Hega Reza, obviously an interim coach leading a, a, a temporary team that doesn't technically exist most of the time. Um, and so she's got that balancing act of, of who she wants to take, what... Uh, players that she might want to take from the other home nations and she's relatively new to the to the England setup full stop so you know I don't know what Emily thinks but this is you know it is a fabricated uh, setup the, the the Great Britain Olympic squad it's got to be harder to pick than any other major tournament squad. I agree and I think I think actually you know as, as professional as, as she is and I'm sure her team are as well you, it's it's a weird scenario, isn't it? Knowing that you're leading a team that isn't actually the team that you'll be leading in the summer and then someone else is coming in a short time later. I think regardless of how much you try and prepare and, and psychologically deal with that, it's not straightforward and it must be quite odd, I think, for the playing group as well because it's not, you know, a long-term arrangement. But at the same time, you know, it's important that they're performing and throwing their hat into the ring for when, you know, the new head coach eventually comes in for England. And I agree in terms of GB, I think the selection is so strict, isn't it, in terms of number? So there's going to be a number of players that miss out that I guess would, would be regular starters for England. And then I know we've spoken about this before, but you look at the other nations as well, where there are there are there is quality there and quality, quality players that you would think at least a couple of those will be included too. Is it is it eight, 18 player squad, isn't it, for the Olympics? Yeah, yeah, 18. So that does mean there's, you know, selection issues there. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, 
yeah, it'd be interesting to see who else goes from 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 the other home nations. But yeah, like like Emily says, you're looking at England, possibly England regulars who are who are not even going to make it. So um, that's going to be it's going to be a, a, a tough one for her. Yeah, and obviously there might be there might not be the regulars who make it. But do you think there'll be any surprises in that? Do you think she'll pick anyone and will be, think, hmm, that's a bit different? Well, possibly. I mean. <laughs> Again, if she was going to be leading England longer term, then, you know, you might say, well, perhaps she might pick, a, you know, a couple of wild cards in there um, to kind of just see who fits in well with the group. She may look at a couple of players and go, I like what, you know, I like the cut of their jib. I'm going to see how they, you know, and I'm not suggesting, as Emily says, you know, that it's a kind of, you know, it's great for her to go to the tournament again, as she has done for as both player and, and, and coach beforehand. Um and she'll want to do very well with with a with a strong Great Britain team, um, but of course it's not going to affect her after the tournament. So you know she's kind of just it's just solely picking with the with that one eye on those on the on that week or so that window. So it might actually be beneficial. She's not necessarily going to pick um, you know out of the ordinary selections possibly a because of the the uh, criteria, um, meaning that only eighteen players are selected, and b because. Um, you know, as I say, there, there doesn't need to be a longer term outlook for her. You know, you know, it's not like she's got Serena Wiegmann pulling the strings behind her. So um, it'll be, you know, I think it'll be a fairly standard squad with the England, you know, the sort of England players we saw against France, plus, um, you know, Houghton and Bronze and Houghton and Bronze. And then we'll see who goes from the other nations, maybe. And um, we will be doing a special podcast from the Lionesses game against Canada on Tuesday, which you can hear later in the week. It's been a rotten 2021 for Birmingham City. No wins. They've got kicked out of their home ground for a couple of weeks. Players breaking COVID rules. Players been told that they weren't in the international squad minutes before kickoff. And this week, the squad wrote an open letter to the club saying they are being prevented from doing their jobs. Tom Gary from The Telegraph broke the story last week with the team complaining about their working conditions including concerns about medical support, budget and access to fitness facilities. The club did respond, saying it's no secret we have one of the lowest budgets in the league. COVID has only compounded this. This certainly makes it difficult to compete, but we're doing our best on and off the pitch in what is a very difficult time for professional football. Only three players are understood to be under contract for next season, making the players fear that the club are not committed to funding a full-time team for next season, which the club also deny. Emily, it just seems to go from bad to worse for the Blues half of Birmingham at the minute, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And it's, I think ultimately, you know, when you read those reports, you know, Tom Gary's a really, really good journalist. And, you know, the way he's covered the story has been, you know, as ever diligent and professional. You just, it just, I think the overriding feeling is it's just, it's really sad. I think you look at Birmingham City, who are traditionally one of the, you know, the core women's clubs. Um, I know certainly, you know, when I was growing up and really started to get into football, they were always in the, you know, FA Cup semi-finals, final, challenging for the league. They've had quality players over the years and, you know, up until very recent years, really, and they still have a very, very good squad. And, you know, I think there's a lot of very, very good people there who clearly are not in the correct situation and being treated in the right way. And it's just, it's just desperately sad. And, you know, 
not necessarily known those people well, but knowing the way they operate, it won't have been an easy decision to do that because it's obviously a big step that they've taken and all the publicity that naturally comes with anything like that. And yeah, you just hope it raises the necessary awareness and that, you know, long-term it can benefit them and, and help the situation because it's, it's awful, really, really sad. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with Emily. Um, I, I've noticed that um, Rachel Corsi writing in a Scottish newspaper spent some time at, uh, at, at Birmingham earlier in the season. Um, and she said a few examples of what she called the day to day bias faced by the women, which I experienced, includes the team being told to park in the furthest away section of the grounds. Um, with the rules are allowing only the men's first team preferential treatment in the main car park. Uh, the team has permission to train on their assigned women's pitch. Uh, that is, no, she says, notably the furthest away from the pavilion and says there is also a stark contrast in quality between this surface and the several pitches set aside, which are largely unused, that are exclusively for, exclusively for men's first and reserve team training. Um, obviously, Birmingham City have responded to, 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 the, to the main points raised and, and aren't here to, to discuss those. Um, but I get, it does just add to that feeling of, of like, as Emily says, a, a sad situation um, and one which... I mean, do you think, Emily, we discussed, didn't we, last week, the fact that they hadn't won um, since November? Um, we recorded on the day, I think, when this story went out. It came out probably actually while we were recording, so we weren't able to reflect on it then. Is there a correlation between the two, do you think, the sort of that undercurrent uh, of resentment and their, their current form on the pitch? A hundred percent. I mean, I think really you see it time and time again, don't you? A lot of the time when things aren't going well on the pitch, it's circumstances off it that aren't helping. And I appreciate the two are also interlinked. If the team isn't doing well, then everything else at the club probably isn't going too well either. But I think in this instance, as you say, I guess if you look at that long run they've had without a win, as you pointed out last week, Andrew, and yeah, just really how much they've struggled. I know we spoke about the fact that their games were then moved to St George's Park when they couldn't play at Solly Hall, which, you know, seen as they were playing, you know, two of the top four teams seemed grossly unfair, given that most of those players were so, most of the opposition players, sorry, were accustomed to playing there regularly. And obviously St George's Park is almost home from home from them. So, yeah, it, I think it's there certainly is a correlation there. And, you know, it would be remiss not to link it in some way. And I think they've got a couple of players on loan from Chelsea. Um, is this scenario, is this situation going to sort of prevent Birmingham from from being able to attract, you know, youngsters from the bigger clubs on loan? Is that going to be a an issue for them in the future? Is, you know, so it's a warning basically to a lot of other clubs that, you know, that may have, it may happen like that. Yeah, I mean, I think... For the game, you hope not, don't you? Because you hope it can be resolved in some way. But I think because it has quite rightly been so highly publicised, so highly discussed, it reputationally, it's it's not good at all for the club, is it? Not just, as you say, from a business point of view, but then that recruiting players, the reputation as a football club. And as we say, we know the likes of Carla Ward, very, very good at their job, you know, very, very good with the players. But, you know, you're even getting the playing and the, the management staff group are clearly very disgruntled by this and quite rightly so too. So, it, yeah, I think you just worry generally um, long in terms of the long-term future of the club as well. And, 
yeah, I guess if you're a young player who's looking for a season or half a season somewhere, there are a number of clubs, aren't there, that you think that they could go to really that are sort of in that kind of mid to lower table range and, and probably will be next season as well. And, you know, if you're sort of a player, an agent or, you know, a, 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 the club that, that owns those players, you, you would probably be a little bit more reluctant, I think, to, to see them move to, to Birmingham. Yeah, and Angie, you obviously spoke about um, attractiveness for recruitment, but not even that. I just think the women's game in general, like we're coming so far and and we're doing so well that it, I just it's been so publicised and as it should as it should be. Um, but I just feel like it's it's not good enough for for younger girls to look at a team like that and think that's normal for a women's football team there's no attraction there as a young girl who wanted to play football I wouldn't look at that and think I want to be a football player if that's how I'm treated if that's what the club is based on that's that I want to play so I just think it things need to be done to make it better absolutely I'll completely agree Maddie and 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 I think it, it's, it is a difficult one, isn't it? Because it's got to be publicised quite rightly. It's got to be, the, you know, the, the, the drum has got to be banged very loudly about it and, and players need to to blow the whistle on any issues that they feel are serious enough to, to, to grab this sort of attention. Um, Absolutely. And it's got to be fixed. But of course, you know, we don't also want it to kind of feel like it's a reflection on women's football per se. It's it's you know, it's not like that at the majority of other clubs. And Birmingham, I'm sure, will address the issues that have been raised. Um, whether it speaks to either conscious or unconscious bias at other clubs, and maybe it might spark something else from other players going, well, actually, you know, we find the facilities here fine and we're not mistreated in any way, but yeah, actually we do need to park the furthest away, you know, or we do have, you know, we don't quite have the same this, that or the other as, 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 as the men or, you know, it may, whether, it, you know, it hasn't yet, it's been out a week, obviously the story. So, you know, but I just wonder whether there might be some, you know, some people at other clubs scrambling around going, are we sure we're okay here? <laughs> um, you know, so it you might know, be beneficial in the long run. I think, Andrew, you make a really good point there. And certainly around the publicity side, because yes, as we've both said, or we've all said that it needs to be publicised, but what you don't want it to do is have this sort of trickle effect where... <laughs> I guess you say other clubs sort of get a little bit exposed for things they're not doing because often you see that with women's sport there can and quite a negative narrative can develop quite quickly where then you go back to the focus on everything that say the women's teams in football don't have and then it becomes about the disparities and I think we were just starting to move away from a lot of that where you know, women's football was effectively starting to be covered in a very similar way to the men in terms of you know performance analysis. And I don't think we want to go back to that either, quite rightly. You know, it, it's been um, acknowledged and, and criticised heavily and, and put in, you know, in the public sphere. But yeah, I think it could be very detrimental to the game if that continues. And as you say, other clubs effectively, you know, get, get exposed or, you know, criticism comes their way. There was some good news, though, this week. The team will play their home games at St Andrews next season. Should they stay in the WSL? Andrew, is this a small ray of light that they needed? Yeah, I think obviously it would be great if if every uh, women's team was playing in the in the main 
stadium used by the other teams. I, I, I don't want to call it the men's stadium because it's the football club stadium. Um, but yeah, if, 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 uh, and that, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great thing for, 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 for Birmingham city, apart from the else, you know, to be, to be, to feel like they have, you know, a, a home that, 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 that they will be able to call theirs. I mean, it's, it's been hard enough for, for, you know, clubs in the Midlands, Coventry city are playing at St. Andrews and <laughs> the, the Birmingham city women aren't and everything else. It's a, um, it's a, it's a, yeah, I think, and to be honest with you, I'd love to see more, I'd love to see more Brighton games played at, at the Amex. I'd love to see, you know, other clubs playing at, you know, the main stadiums used by the clubs. It's as simple as that, really. FA Cup third round now this weekend. Andrew, tell us what happened. Well, Maddie, there were a couple of uh, penalty shootouts, a couple of shock results, and at the end of it all, a couple of fourth-tier sides have made it into the fourth round of the Women's FA Cup. Uh, They are Southampton FC Women and Wolves, who both knocked out opponents from the league above. Southampton beat Yeovil United 3-0 and will travel to Championship side Lewis in round four, while Wolves uh, pulled off a sensational result, a 4-1 win away at National League South leaders Watford, uh, they now host championship side Blackburn. But the biggest rewards for victory have gone to three third tier sides from the National League, Burnley, Gillingham and Chichester and Selsea. Uh, Burnley beat league rival Sunderland 3-1 on penalties with keeper Lauren Bracewell, the hero there. They'll get the honour of hosting Manchester United. Uh, Gillingham needed extra time to see off Cheltenham, Atisha Charles getting the winner. And they will travel to 14-time winners, Arsenal. And, of course, we mentioned uh, trouble for Birmingham City. Gillingham uh, split from the, the main club to uh, to go independent and uh, a good reward for them after, a, uh, obviously, an interrupted and difficult first season. But, yeah, so Gillingham uh, travelling to Arsenal. Chichester and Chelsea, meanwhile, will go to WSL side West Ham after beating Leighton Orient. Of course, that means the O's were denied at what would have been a huge local derby for them. Uh, two other third-tier sides will meet championship opposition. Oxford United beat Billericay 3-1 to set up a home tie against Charlton, while Middlesbrough thrashed Wem Town 4-0 and will take on Sheffield United. And there is guaranteed to be at least one National League side in round five. That's because Huddersfield and Derby will meet each other after their victories today. Huddersfield beat fourth-tier Brighouse on penalties, while Derby won 4-1 at West Brom. Uh, Let's look at the fourth-round draw in full. There are three all-WSL ties. Holders Man City host Aston Villa, Reading meet Tottenham, and Brighton play Bristol City. Last season's runners-up Everton will be at home to Championship High Flyers Durham. That's going to be an interesting one. Uh, Chelsea host London City Lionesses, while, as we mentioned, Arsenal will entertain Gillingham and Manchester United go to Burnley. There's a Midlands derby with Birmingham from the WSL hosting Coventry United from the Championship. And as we said, West Ham played Chichester and Chelsea. Championship winners Leicester will play league rivals Liverpool. Should be a good one. Uh, while Crystal Palace and London Bees meet in another all-championship clash. And that leaves the five other ties we previously mentioned. Uh, National League North Middlesbrough against Championship Sheffield United. Uh, National League Division 1 Wolves against Championship Blackburn. Uh, National League South Oxford against Championship Charlton. Uh, championship side Lewis against National League Division 1 Southampton. And the all-National League North clash between Huddersfield and Derby. And that is it from us today, guys. Thank you very much for listening. And don't forget to give us a follow on social media. It's at TWFP1 on Twitter and the Women's Football Podcast on Instagram and also on YouTube.